Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself and the Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay. We're continuing our discussion with Thomas Frank. But before I introduce him again, here's a little bit from the book Listen Liberal. The Democrats are a class party in the most basic sense of the phrase, and that the socioeconomic group whose interests they represent most enthusiastically, the satisfied and prosperous professional class, simply doesn't care all that much about income inequality. Now joining us in the studio is Thomas Frank. Thanks for joining us again, Thomas. You got it, Paul. So one more time, Thomas is a political analyst, a historian. He's a journalist and columnist for The Guardian. He's well known for the book, What's the Matter with Kansas? And most recently, Listen Liberal. So we, in section one, we talked about the sort of alliance between this, what you call the meritocracy or this professional class that has educated and earned their way into yes. privilege and power and how they ally themselves with, in your book, you call the plutocracy. Yeah. Uh, talk a bit about that nexus. Well, they have, they have uh, so there are, I don't want to downplay the differences because there are important differences between these, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, Republican rich people and Democratic rich people. Among other things, uh, professionals tend to be very liberal on uh, culture war issues, social issues. They tend to be very, very liberal. Fix how they live themselves. Yeah. Uh, or uh, things that are, or or you might put it this way, things that are far away. So they tend to be liberal about things that that that, that don't affect them. Uh, but when it comes to economic issues, they tend to be fairly conservative, um, as conservative as uh, you know Republican billionaires that that you know anyone that you care to name. But just to, just to back up a sec, but for example, the abortion uh, issue. Affected, yeah, the abortion issue. So a, a professional women class tends from to be, that class. Yes, of course, uh, it affected working women. Right, too, right. But, uh, yeah, but they they tend to be very liberal on an issue like that. Whereas you take an issue that that is has to do with raw economics, like say uh, organized labor. And I mean, I can't tell you how many members of the professional class, I mean, people who are good liberals and vote democratic, they just can't stand organized labor. Uh, and I keep bringing things back to that because I think that's a, uh, you know, what's happened to unions and organized labor in this country is a very critical part of the story of inequality. If you want to understand how this, the, you know, America as a social democracy basically came apart. Uh, the destruction of organized labor is a huge part of that. And you can't understand that without understanding how the Democratic Party changed, because that's what made it possible. Uh, it's not a focus of your book, but I, th I think it's an important piece of it, is, is that this liberal um, plutocracy, liberal meritocracy, professionals, a whole section of them, not all, but a section of them, is very hawkish on foreign policy. In fact, yeah. often are on the same page as, as, as Republican hawks or neocons. Yes, and the classic example, of course, the Hillary Clinton campaign. I was at that Democratic convention where there's, you know, one, it was, there was kind of a, I forget what the, the general's name was. She brought a, there was a Marine Corps general that she, that came out on stage and gave a speech, and it was very, um, it was a very militaristic speech, his manner, the way he talked. And uh, there were gasps in the hall uh, when this happened because it's not the kind of thing you, you think you're going to see. At a it was such a hawkish... Uh, a Democratic Party <laughs> convention. Well, you know, it's interesting. If you read Chuck Schumer's memoir, um, he talks kind of openly about the strategic necessity of the Democratic Party to look stronger 
than the Republicans. So one, he uses it to explain the crime, the Clinton crime bill. Yep. And number two, on foreign policy, uh, Vietnam War, for example. This is the this is the classic sort of uh, uh, failure of the Democratic Party. Is a guy like Lyndon Johnson is terrified of looking weak. Remember, and, and the, the you know the Republicans are forever accusing Democrats of being soft on this, soft on that, and so they they have to overcompensate and try to look tough. And you have them uh, making all sorts of foreign policy blunders uh, out of the desire to appear tough. Uh, Vietnam is uh, by far the uh, you know the worst example of that. And then domestically, the crime bill. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. In 1994, and the crime bill, just so your viewers know, is an this is an. An important part of Listen Liberal, I keep going back to it, uh, but it was also important for me when I was doing my research for the book. And I was trying to remember, I, I started writing the book, you know, it's about a various Democratic Party politics of the last 30 or so, 40 years. And uh, the Clinton administration is obviously, uh, you know, in the 90s, is a huge part of this story. I started uh, uh, writing about his administration by asking myself the question, what is it that we're supposed to like about Bill Clinton? You know, why are we supposed to admire him? I, I couldn't remember. I really couldn't remember. And so he's, I went he's back. He's charming. And, he's charming. And, and the stock market did real well while he was president. The economy boomed Lots in the of last bubble. few a, years. A nice bubble. A nice, yeah, it was a nice bubble. It's exactly right. The last few years of his administration. And, uh, and also the Republicans were so mean to him. They impeached him, remember? And they were, it was so unfair what they did to him that uh, I remember at the time that was, I, I had become totally disenchanted with Clinton by the time they impeached him. But when they did that, I was like, I was on his side again because it was so just just massively unfair the way they were treating him. But you go back and look at the actual legislative accomplishments of the Clinton era. And there's five of them. Do you want me to list them for you? Yeah. And they're, well, let's see if your, your viewers can, can guess what they all have in common. The first was NAFTA. They'd got this done right after he became president. Remember, the Republicans couldn't do it. Clinton got it done. The second was uh, uh, the crime bill of 94. The third was bank deregulation and also telecom deregulation. The fourth was welfare reform. And the fifth was a balanced budget. And these are, the, I, when I say these are his main achievements, he had a lot of smaller achievements that I agree with, but these are the big ones that his admirers at the time boasted about. And if you read biographies, of, friendly biographies of Bill Clinton, these are the things that they boast about. All five of them are Republican achievements. All five of them are Republican measures that Clinton got done, that the Republicans themselves couldn't get. They would boast about this. NAFTA was, of course, negotiated by Reagan and uh, Bush Sr., but the Republicans couldn't get it passed through Congress. It took a Democrat. Because you remember at the time, Congress was always controlled by Democrats because they were what? That's right, the party of the working class. Right. And uh, Clinton ran a steamroller over them to get NAFTA done and permanently alienated organized labor in the process. And by the way, that is a big part of the story. This In 2016, NAFTA comes back to bite Hillary Clinton uh, in, in the worst kind of way. And she can't get out of it because her name is Clinton. Um, the uh, crime bill of 94 is this like, you know, we're going to be even tougher. This is a Democrat saying we're going to be even tougher than the Republicans. We're going to lock up more people. We're going to have, you know, mandatory minimums. You know, the crack cocaine, crack versus powder cocaine despair. You know, all of this stuff. This, That's this Clinton. Is, this is, and this is what Schumer talks about essentially as an election strategy. To yeah. yeah. Oh, they, 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 no, they said this openly. They, are, yeah. they said this openly. Yeah. And even, and I understand that. And, and great. They got Bill and Clinton Hillary kind of apologized. You know, welfare reform is the same. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, these, are, these are monstrous. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. 
shouldn't say monstrous? In my opinion. Oh, they these were monstrous. These are monstrous deeds. I think, I think these are could, monstrous deeds. The crime bill, a... welfare reform, bank deregulation. By any political objectivity, they were monstrous. Yeah. By, uh, yeah well, from, the, if, from my standpoint, they, these are monstrous acts, uh, monstrous deeds. And yes, the uh, official rationalization of these things is they'll get Bill Clinton reelected. Well, great. So they got him reelected and he deregulated the banks. <laughs> you know? I'm sorry, it's not funny. It's, it's kind of awful, you know, but that's supposed to be the great measure of all these things. They got Bill Clinton. We rounded up millions of kids and locked them away for life to get this guy reelected. That is, that is, that makes my skin crawl. Yeah, we're in, that Bal is we're in Baltimore, which yeah. is one of, one of the ground zeros for this. Ugh. So you, you start to understand where I'm going with all this. Anyhow, so that, <laughs> that's, uh, that's my take on the, 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 the Clinton years. And it was uh, interesting to me to take, you know, a couple of those bank deregulation, that really hurt these, that really hurt the Democrats. Uh, that came back to haunt them. Uh, NAFTA, this, uh, like I said, you know, I've, sp I've spoken to many organized labor groups. They always bring this up. This is, it wasn't the worst trade agreement, like Trump likes to say, but it was the first of the really bad trade agreements. And it was the one that, they, that we fought over because it was the first one. And organized labor put everything into fighting it in Bill Clinton, you know, Rahm, Rahm Emanuel, and they set up their war room and they pushed that thing through by God and ran roughshod over the unions. Uh, in the quote I read from the book, I, I thought, for me at any rate, maybe the most important thing of that sentence was that it's a class party. Yes. And, and this yes. class of what you call the professional political yeah. class to a large extent, but others professionals, and together with their section uh, of the 10% of the uh, and then the 1%, um, that that's who controls the party. Yeah. And, and, and there's two things. It's one, it's, it's not just some people happen to get control the party with some bad policy choices. No, they're acting it's, in their own interests. It's who they are. They, they act in, nakedly in their own interests, and they're often not capable of seeing that there's any other viewpoint about these things. Take the trade deals, for example. How many times have you seen the Washington Post say, you know, only an idiot would question free trade or Thomas Friedman or anything? They simply cannot understand the opposing argument. It's just like it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to them. Globalization, which is strictly, you know, the, an imposition of the narrow interests of a class of Americans on the entire world. They, they describe this as an act of God. You know, there's no possible way anybody can object to this without. I mean, you'd have to be a, a moron to object to globalization. You know, the, the way they, they talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's 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 a classic ideology where a class of people understands their interests as the interests of everyone, even as the you know something handed down by the uh, laws of nature. Well, there's another thing that's handed down by the laws of nature in their eyes. They're genius. Well, one, they're genius. <laughs> but the enormous power that has moved towards finance. Yeah. And the extent to which hedge funds and Wall Street now so dominate the economy, yes. dominate politics. And, and I once had the most interesting lunch once with a leader of one of the big international unions and his political advisor for Washington. And, and, I, and I asked both, I said to you, I don't understand, you know, the Democratic Party is essentially a class alliance. You have all different stratum and classes represented in the party, and Republicans the same thing. But you guys always cede leadership to the yeah. elites. Yep. 
You go out, you get your people to knock on doors, you give money. Oh, they money. work hard. Unions to this day, they, they put everything on the line every but, four I years. Said, why do you do that? Why don't you contend for leadership? And he just shrugged, so they're the ones with all the money. Yeah. So you kind of have to. <laughs> and so they get, when Obama yeah. gets elected, they get promised the Employee Free Choice Act. Yeah. That's going to be the big thing for the unions. Yeah, that's right. And then, then they, they don't even introduce. Like, yeah, they don't I, even I lost your phone number. Yeah, they don't even yeah, introduce. Sorry, uh, you know, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, and so they, that was their only thing that they that they wanted from the Obama administration, and they didn't get it. And by the way, that's the same with Clinton, uh, and the same with Jimmy Carter before him, where the unions had their one. You know, they want to make it easier to form unions again in this country, which is pretty much impossible to do. And on all three occasions, the Democrats, once the unions work so hard and get them elected, the, the Democrats are like, yeah, I've, you know, I've changed my mind. I'm not interested in that. But you, you raised a really interesting point, Paul, which is about the Democrats and their alliance with Wall Street, which is hard for some people to understand because Wall Street traditionally has been Republican. Investment banking, I mean, William Jennings Bryan denouncing the bankers, Franklin Roosevelt regulating the bankers, you know, calling out the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, what was his phrase about the, you know, the money, money changers in the temple. You know, uh, the, the Democratic Party, as we grew up with it, uh, was identified with hating Wall Street. You know, that's who they were. And they've completely reversed themselves on this, completely 180 degrees the opposite today. And they did this deliberately during the Clinton, Bill Clinton presidency. Which I think is, they do it deliberately and consciously, but it's a reflection of a kind of a objective process. It's which, a reflection of who they are. Which nobody's in control of. Yeah. Which is the way capitalism is right now, there's no other way other than this enormous power of finance. That's what they think. Well, because they control the politics. Yeah, but there, of course, there is, there are other ways. But uh, Bill Clinton deliberately went out of his way to court uh, Wall Street, uh, and I mentioned his financial deregulation. It wasn't just one or two things. He did it again and again and again and again. Kept deregulating this one industry, which set all had, the conditions for the 0708 crash, 2007. Absolutely. I mean, but uh, and also, you know, uh, bought in, brought in, excuse me, uh, Robert Rubin as Treasury Secretary. After him, Larry Summers, uh, you know, filled his administration with these guys. And then uh, Barack Obama, who, of course, uh, comes into power at this sort of perfect Franklin Roosevelt style moment, very similar to 1932, not as severe, but similar in all sorts of ways, and declines to get tough with these guys, these people who have just thrown the global economy off a cliff. And Obama is basically elected to get tough with Wall Street. And if you ask me, I mean, this is the great failure of Obama's administration that he never really uh, follows through on. Well, he doesn't even try to get tough with these guys. Well, uh, he, he said he rescues them. Well, he was kind of elected by them. Well, I mean, they, they, as we now he, know, he, by he the way, he raised the, more money there than Hillary did. One of the most Hillary interesting uh, emails in the, uh, the, the trove that was released by WikiLeaks doesn't have anything to do with Hillary Clinton. It has to do with Obama. And it, it's an email from October of 2008, a month before Barack Obama is elected president. And it's a kind of round robin email that's going around where there uh, a bunch of Democratic bigwigs are choosing Obama's cabinet officers for right. him. Mm -hmm. And if you remember who, the, who is in charge of the email chain, the email round robin, it's a guy at Citibank. And you remember even Paul Krugman was saying, I shouldn't say even Paul, Paul Krugman was saying at the time, Citibank is a zombie bank. You need to go in there, you need to do a test case for Citibank, break this bank up you know, break it into its component parts, put part of it out of business, you know, do whatever. I don't remember what all the steps that needed to be done with Citibank, but this was clearly one of the, the, the banks that was in mo the most trouble and had been the, one of the worst offenders in the financial crisis, and Obama never did it. And you wonder why. 
and now we know, <laughs> you know. But in fact, you know, I didn't know that when I wrote Listen Liberal, of course. And the point that I made in Listen Liberal is that there is a, the kind of people who filled the Obama administration, and before him, the kind of people who filled the Bill Clinton administration, you think about the kind of people that they were, and they're all these Ivy League types. Uh, they tend to you'd be you know, very highly educated, but people who also, who owe their rise in life to these fancy uh, colleges and fancy graduate schools, and that's who they are. They are the cream of the meritocracy. Uh, this is the case with both Clinton and Obama. And they look, th these people, you know, are the classic definition of, of, of successful professionals um, who really believe profoundly in meritocracy, that you succeed because of how you did in school, that kind of thing. And they look at Wall Street and they see people very much like themselves, people who may well even be their personal friends, guys that they went to college with, that they went to graduate school with, guys with advanced degrees in economics. And they look at this bunch of people and they say, so they did one thing wrong. You know, so they, so they, they screwed up one time. You know, look, these are men of, and it is largely men, of, of uh, sophistication. People who understand sophisticated financial derivatives. And normally quite well educated. Yeah, these are not people that, these are not, you know, bad guys. Now, and so we're not gonna prosecute them. We're not gonna hold them to account. We're not even, we're not gonna break up the banks. We're not even gonna fire the bank leadership, which Obama was perfectly entitled to do because he has seats on their board because of the bailout. He could have done anything he wanted with these guys, and they don't do anything. Okay, but at the same time, the FBI is tracking down people that lied on mortgage applications and prosecuting them. They do that all the time. They're prosecuting the little guys. There's zero sympathy for those people, you know. But no, they won't, they won't touch these guys. So large sections of the working class have become disillusioned with these liberals, uh, with this meritocracy, as you call it, the leadership of corporate Democrats, as some people call them. Um, they've seen through a lot of the promises they don't believe, although in reality, the corporate Democrats actually do do a few small oh, course, reforms yeah. for no, the they're, working they're class. Objectively they don't, better than the Republicans. Yeah, yeah, the Republicans <laughs> that is for wrong. sure, yeah. Um, but why do so many workers not see that the Trump type of politics is just the same different section of billionaires. And, and when you look now, even more so now, when you actually look at the cabinet, it's so obvious he's yeah. surrounded himself oh, with I just know. another variation of the same kind of people, yeah. maybe actually worse. So this, is, this was the central question in What's the Matter with Kansas? And this is a book that I wrote in the year 2000, or was published in the year 2004. I wrote it before then. And I, I come from Kansas, grew up there. And it, you know, it's a state that went from being moderate, a moderate Republican state to being a deeply right-wing state. Uh, you know, it went way, way, way to the right, arguably in the same way that America has done. And this has happened, and it's no coincidence, Paul, that this has happened in an age when inequality is increasing and being a working class person is, is more and more unpleasant in this country year after year. As the condition of the working class the economic condition of the working class deteriorates, objectively deteriorates. Um, you know, uh, the country is moving farther and farther to the right. People are voting for, you know, further and further right-wing politicians. Uh, in some ways it has culminated with Trump. In some ways uh, other politicians are worse than Trump. And Kansas is one of the places where I saw this happening. And so I, I said, well, what the hell is going on here? What's, why is this happening? And 
The answer that I came up with after studying the right-wing movement up close, and we can all read about the right-wing movement nationally and read its history and that sort of thing, and I've done, a, I'm, you know, I've done quite a bit of work on that as well, but uh, st studying the uh, conservative movement up close, talking to its leaders in Kansas, I was struck by a really um, interesting thing, which was it was uh, uh, profoundly blue-collar that the people who flipped Kansas or who made, I don't want to say flipped it because it was Republican already. It just wasn't right-wing Republican. It was like Bob Dole, Nancy Kassebaum, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower kind of Republican. You know, nice, <laughs> nice Republicans, well, you know. I guess it's everything's relative, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Eisenhower looks pretty good these days, you know, if you ask me. But, but, but uh, how it became the Kansas of Sam Brownback you know, that's a really interesting story. And there was a, a big change in the Republican Party. It was basically uh, taken over from the bottom up. And I talked to a lot of the people that took it over and studied how they did it. And they were by and large working class people who did this as a kind of after a, a project, you know, an extracurricular project after they were done at, at work. And they were proud of this, that they were not, they hadn't gone to college. Uh, by and large, they were uh, that they were taking on rich people. You know, the leaders of the Republican Party tended in those days to be very comfortable little clique of moderate Republicans. They all knew each other. They were lawyers. You know, lived in all worked for the same law firm. You know, that kind of thing. And these guys saw it as a kind of mm, class war, a weirdly sort of inverted class war. But that's how they understood it. And once you drill down, and, and it was all with the culture war issues, by the way. It wasn't. It was. They never talked about economic issues, except with the exception of tax cuts, you know, which they were into for different reasons. But uh, it was largely the culture wars. Abortion was the number one issue for these people, uh, followed by a whole series of education-related issues. The theory of evolution was big, uh, you know, was it, was abortion, guns. Was abortion the actual thing that galvanized, or was it a, a symbol of a whole set of things people believed in? It's the latter. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's both. I mean, it, 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 they were galvanized by these anti-abortion protests that happened in Wichita in the early 90s that nobody remembers anymore. It was called the Summer of Mercy, and that's really where this thing began. But when you talk to them, yeah, abortion is it's not abortion itself. I mean, it sometimes is, but abortion stands for other things. And when you drill down into these things, they all stand for social class. These are all sort of roundabout ways of talking about class and talking about, they love to use this phrase, you've heard it before, the liberal elite. They love to talk about the, the liberal elite and to you know con invent all of these, uh, these ways of talking about the liberal elite. But all of these issues come back to the idea that there's this elite, this shadowy, and by the way, it's a sort of conspiracy theory version of what I've been talking about. This shadowy elite in Hollywood and New York that controls the culture of this country. And, um, and often there's an innuendo that this is mostly a Jewish elite too. There's always some a bit of anti-Semitic. Yeah, that, they would never say there. that overtly in Kansas ever. I mean, that's not who they are. They, they, of course, they they don't they don't go there. Um, but but there is you know it's 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 but it's always described in the same terms and it's always about the same kind of people. And but the idea is that they control our culture and they fiddle with our values and they fiddle with the way we understand the world. And there's we have no way of speaking back to them. And they do this from on high. But you see this in all the culture war issue. So when you drill down into the abortion issue, one of the things that um, that uh, that comes up is uh, uh, they, they, they love to talk about the Roe v. Wade decision, which they regard as this incredible imposition because it's judges 
and doctors getting together to overturn the uh, uh, laws of the entire country, the state laws, you know, state laws enacted at the state level all over the entire country. By the way, interesting fact, Kansas is one of the states that had legalized abortion well before Roe v. Wade. That's who we used to be in Kansas, and that's so far gone now. But when you, but as I said, when you drill down into the culture wars, you'll find that all of them are ways of expressing class anger by other means. It's it, it's fascinating. And anyhow, you, I, 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 and so this is how it's not done accidentally. There is, uh, even if there's some certain kind of spontaneousness that how it gets organized in Kansas, I, I think in Kansas and certainly nationally some elite money starts getting behind oh, of this. Some of the political operatives get behind this. Yes, and it's, the right has, uh, has been hitting the populist theme for a very long time. By populist, by the way, populism is a very important term in Kansas uh, because we had the actual uppercase P populist party. And the populist style is simply how politics is done in that part of the world. It's arguably how politics is done all over America. And uh, the populist style is always about the common folk versus this kind of awful shadowy elite. And there's different versions of populism. There's what I believe is a correct version of populism where it's about the banks and it's about Wall Street and it's about real economic power. And then there's this made up Republican, ver or I shouldn't say Republican, right wing version that you see in Kansas and you now see, well, you see everywhere in America. And this is very deliberately invented, manipulated. I mean, the, the, uh, the sort of right-wing powers that be throw out culture war issues. They make them up and throw them out there constantly and some of them will stick and some of them won't, but they keep trying them. And, and, uh, and by the way, they will lose their uh, power over the years, like uh, the, the, the horror of gay marriage. Remember what a big deal this was just 12 years ago. You know, then Trump at the convention starts talking yes. about how we have to. And it's to gone now as an issue. It's gone. And everybody stands and cheers <laughs> yeah. for, for, for Trump's pro-gay yeah. language. That Trump was... is so tolerant, right? Yeah. But now they've replaced that with something else, right? So they go on to something else. They just keep throwing them out there because you can, you can keep playing this populist vein, this cultural populism. You can do this forever until the other side comes back at you with the real deal, with economic populism. And that will derail it, okay? That will have the effect of, uh, of standing it back right side up. And this will work as long as the Democratic Party refuses to do that, well, by the way. And they, and they do refuse. They, they do refuse. Maybe somebody in the corporate Democrats could campaign, oh, could campaign you, on economic populism, but they're never going to do it. Do you remember a group called the Democratic Leadership Council? Yeah. Their whole, uh, towards the end of their, of their, of their life, their whole, uh, everything they were about was about suppressing what they called populism, how the Democratic Party can never be a populist party. That is a dead that's, end. You must the, not do it. That's the Clinton flaws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, now, I can understand sections of the working class who are, are so used to the federal government being controlled by the liberals, by de corporate Democrats. Their life not only often doesn't get better, but over this, much of this period gets worse. But state legislatures in many of these states have been Republican for years, yeah. and they don't seem to get the heat for people's conditions getting worse and worse. You know, and that is, uh, that is one of the fascinating aspects of everything that we're describing here, because, uh, you, you know, people know, obviously, about inequality. People knew about the financial crisis. People are very upset when they can see what's happening. And yet, 
in good years, and we're in a, we're in a pretty uh, uh, economically, you know, we've recovered to a certain degree, in good times, the culture wars are enough for people. Now, in bad times, I think, you know, like you had in, in 2008 and uh, uh, 2009 and uh, stuff like that, people will return to the fold, you know, and there's a chance for economic populism. Unfortunately, uh, I mean, and the same thing, by the way, happened in the 20s and the 30s. In the 1920s, the country was, you know, on fire with culture wars, <laughs> prohibition, <laughs> fundamentalism, you know, all that stuff was, by the way, we're here in the home city of H.L. Mencken. That's how he made his, uh, his name was fighting these early versions of the culture wars. And then in the 1930s, you know, the depression comes along and people drop that stuff like a hot potato. They don't want to have anything to do. They don't give a damn about prohibition anymore. Nobody cares about fundamentalism anymore. And so the economic issues will come back during hard times. Now, you know, we have the, we're having this wonderful conversation here, and the, the, un, the, the part of it that is unspoken is the conservatives know all this. The right-wing movement knows this. Yeah, Bannon talks about it openly. That's right. And so when the hard times comes back in 08 and 09, and you'd think the Republicans would be, like, in, you know, uh, very much uh, uh, in, in bad odor because of this. George W. Bush is president, and he had uh, basically destroyed the bank regulatory agencies. All this happened on his watch. And uh, uh, Republicans have a lot to answer for. And what do they do? They invent a fake hard times protest movement, the Tea Party movement. And they get out and they know that it's going to turn towards economics and they get out in front of that. And they're out there with their phony protest movement. And what are the, Dem and the Democrats, by the way, have elected Barack Obama and we're all full of hope and all this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the rest, as I say, is history. Obama did not want to be the populist leader. He didn't want to be the Franklin Roosevelt of our time. He wanted to be something very different. And the right stole his thunder. They stole the fire away from, the, from that, that moment, that moment of possibility in 08. And they did it with the Tea Party movement. It was a genius move. And, and as I say before, uh, Obama was a Wall Street president. He, he managed yeah, this. He turned out to be. It, it was a moment that could have been a Rooseveltian electrifying moment. And he managed it in a way that it would never become that. That's exactly right. And I think that is the great lost promise of the Obama years is that he had the world at his feet in 2008. He had the wind at his back. As I, I put, in, put it in Listen Liberal, history dealt this man four aces, and somehow he managed to lose. I mean, it's like, you remember what it was like in 2008. Well, I mean, the country was behind this man. The I, world was or, behind or this man. Or he won, because he... You know, <laughs> yeah, he did what he wanted, yeah. Well, he did what he but was But he, he lost Congress do. immediately. He had, he had overwhelming majorities in both houses. Uh, he could have had anything he wanted. And... Uh, lost the House within two years. I'm not sure he could have anything he wanted because he had a lot of right wing in the Democratic Party. Right, right. But right. he could have. No, I mean, had him. he been he had, had such he, a movement had he been a him. kind of a Roosevelt kind of. I mean, we got one thing you have to remember about Franklin Roosevelt. The man was a political genius. Uh, he had a lot of things wrong with him, uh, and he wasn't necessarily, you know, committed ideologically or committed to any kind of principle. But he was a political genius. He knew how to get things done. And Barack Obama was, I think, the greatest orator of our time. I think one of the most gifted politicians we've seen in all sorts of ways. But no, he wasn't the best at getting things through Congress. By the way, and we knew this at the time, he'd only been in the Senate for two years. But I thought at the time, uh, well, he has, he has Rahm Emanuel on his side. This is a man that knows how to get things done. Uh, you know, he'll be, you know, he'll be well advised. He got things done. 
<laughs> yeah, the wrong things. <laughs> yeah. That's why yeah, I've always exactly. been, I've been saying often on the real news, I'm a big fan of gridlock. <laughs> I, I, I like when they can't pass anything. When nothing anything. happens. Yeah, because whenever they do, they agree. Whenever they yeah. can agree well, on man, something, Well, man, you're getting your good. way right now. I it mean, that's good. the funny thing about Trump is that, like, yeah. we're, we're being saved by incompetence. Oh, I mean, I, this guy I, has both houses. I pray of this clown I was, show continues. I was terrified yeah. when, he, when he took office, you know, what awful things this guy was going to sign his name to. And he's gotten relatively little done. I mean, virtually nothing done. And that's, well, uh, the, I'm at, thankful at the, for the, that. At the departmental level, there's a lot of Oh, horrible, no, that's right. Absolutely. A lot of horrible stuff going on. A lot of deregulation on. going on. While everybody looks, watching the clown show, there's a lot of horrible <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff going on. Yes, I mean to write about that one of these days, by the way. Well, read The Guardian, folks, and uh, you'll see it. Watch the real news, folks, because we've been doing it. <laughs> All right, next segment of our interview, we're going to talk about, uh, is the Democratic Party actually worth fighting for from on the in, in sense for, on behalf of working people is it even possible and we're going to get into the sanders movement so join us for the next segment of reality asserts itself on the real news network mm -hmm.